practices, they're biblical principles that can help start com uh, spiritual conversations. So that's, that's an entry point. Also, uh, on Easter, and you may, you may, you may not know this, we're not going to have any Sunday school. We're going to have a breakfast for people. We're inviting people to come to breakfast and then afterward come to hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's all going to be focused on that and the difference that meeting the resurrected Jesus uh, means. And so out in the foyer, there are a couple of our postcards we sent out to our neighbors. One just went out this week that says, if someone actually rose from the dead, wouldn't that change everything? And indeed, we believe that's true. So maybe you want to pick that up and hand that to somebody, or maybe you want to go with the different route of just feeling connected. People today are feeling more isolated and disconnected than ever before. And this is an opportunity to invite people into the community here at Berean Community Church. So all I'm saying is take advantage of the cards that are out in the foyer. Think of the people that maybe in your sphere of influence, at your work, your neighbors, what have you, and uh, take the opportunity to to invite them and just say, hey, we'd love to have you be our guest. So, end of public service announcement, okay? So, you know, there's sometimes when you hear the words come out of a person's mouth, you just know that what they're saying is not true. Or what they purport to be is not, you know, what they really are. Here's an example, and this is from my own, this is from my own experience that's living in various places in the United States, okay? So first of all, I'm from California, from the Bay Area. And if somebody tells you, yeah, I grew up in Frisco, pertaining to San Francisco, you know that they may have lived there for a year, you, may, you know they may have moved there for a while, but nobody who grew up in the Bay Area says, I'm from Frisco. It's just, it's not. It's just, people don't talk like that. You know, people from other places say, yeah, it's in Frisco. Where? Frisco, Texas? No, San Francisco. No. So that's just a, a way you know that person is not a, a Bay Area na native. I've also lived in Illinois during my seminary days. And if somebody says, I'm from Illinois, you know that they're not from Illinois. Because as a teacher told me who was from Illinois, there is no noise in Illinois. So you just know that that is not their home region. And then if you meet somebody from the South, and they say something like, bless your heart, you know that they're not saying, I agree with what you're saying. What they're saying is, you have no idea. You're clueless. You're stupid. Something of that nature. It's, it's kind of a condescending statement. So even so, there is a sniff test for those who claim to be sent of the Lord. Those called to be His representatives by Him. And I will call it the boast if you've noticed, we've talked about boasting a lot in our singing, even in the passage that James read today. In what or in whom do you place your confidence? What are you boasting in, in answering the Lord's call, in serving Him and doing His work? If you were here last week, we were in chapter 10, and if you have your Bibles, 
of 2 Corinthians, you might want to crack them open to that part of the Scriptures today. And Paul is calling out these false teachers. He'll later call them, quote, super apostles in chapter 11. Actually, false apostles. I call them spiritual squatters. I call them spiritual squatters. You see, Paul had, God had used them, used the apostle Paul to plant the church and grow the church in Corinth. And then when he left, there were these people who came in behind him and started taking spiritual credit for their growth. They wanted to gain power and influence. And they were, you know, they were very influential in the sense that they had a lot of eloquence. They put a lot of emphasis on outward appearance and confidence. And indeed, our, our world looks up to people like that who talk a good game and, and seem to be doing it with flash and sparkle. But in this air or their arrogance, it reveals really that their claim to being sent by the Lord is false. You see, someone who is truly sent of the Lord, genuine, has genuine spiritual authority, their boast, their confidence is not in themselves. It is in the Lord who has called them forward. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So, let me pray for us, and then we'll unpack this interesting passage that God has put in His Word. So Lord, again, we want to make our boast in You. We don't want to put our hope, our faith in anyone or anything else than You. And as we have sung, Lord Jesus, You are our cornerstone. You are our firm foundation. Everything around us, Lord, is sinking sand. So come and open the eyes of our hearts to your word to us today and help us to grasp these things and live them out in a pragmatic way that honors you and gives glory to you. So Lord Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen and amen. So here's the thing. What's interesting about this part of, of the scripture is we're kind of entering into a, a conflict that Paul has with these false teachers, and with his own uh, followers in Corinth. And what makes this particular part of the letter interesting is Paul exposes what is false and reveals the truth, listen to this, by expressing what he and his ministry companions do and what they don't do. And what they do and what they don't do. So let's start with what they don't do. A false spiritual teacher is self-centered. Verse 12, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. Now, I don't know if you just took in that last sentence here. They measure themselves by themselves and they compare themselves with themselves. It's kind of circular thinking, right? Hey, the standard is me. Every morning I look in the mirror and, hey, you're doing great. Because the standard is me. And there is no external standard. Paul says, hey, we're not going to even entertain this comparison of methods because these are false apostles. And it is man-centered measurement for divine work. It is man-measured uh, 
it is man-centered measurement for divine work. Certainly, we can feel good or bad as we compare ourselves to a horizontal standard, performance of those around you. But again, that's a false standard because the standard is the Lord and His work and His mission to reconcile men and women to Himself. That's the standard. That's what we're trying to accomplish. That's what we want to see. So let's take our breakfast coming up. Okay? If our goal is to have the most people in our sanctuary compared to other churches, okay, that might be an okay goal, but that's not the end goal. Because then that's just, hey, look how many people we had. Or if we had a building project where we want to have the tallest building in Rochester. Well, that's kind of a self-centered goal. Or if we wanted to, let's say, get the most likes on YouTube from our, our broadcast. Again, that's missing the mark. Or if we even sought to give away the most food in Rochester. We've missed the mark. Interestingly enough, and this is something the English doesn't quite show you, but in the original language in this, in this passage, it says, this is how it literally is translated. They are together comparing and together commending, but at the very end, but not together putting. Do you hear that last word? Not together putting. What that means is they can't put it all together. They can't put it all together, but what really matters. And it's translated as they are not wise, because their standard is a horizontal standard looking around at men. Yeah, look how much more eloquent we are than Paul. Look how much, you know, cooler our presentation is. And Paul's going, that is not the wise standard. Here's what I want to say, though, before I go on much more in this, this passage. We need to differentiate between a false motive or a false standard and a foolish standard. We need to differentiate between a false motive or a false standard and a foolish standard. And here's what I mean. A false standard or a, a, yeah, a false standard means false motives. It means they're saying something, but they really want something else. Yeah, we're here for Jesus, but what they're really here for is to gain their own authority or exploit a group to take advantage of maybe finances. A foolish standard a foolish standard is, is somebody who is perhaps young in their faith and they need to grow. And I'll just point to myself as, as an example in my own ministry journey. During my college years, I spent three summers at a, at a summer camp, Christian summer camp called Ponderosa Lodge. Two of those summers, I was a, a camp counselor, had the opportunity to minister to high school students, help them put their faith in Jesus. And on my off week of being a counselor, I was on the program staff. I helped running the skits and the program and all the games and all that stuff. Well, the last year, my third year, I became the program director. And here was my chance. Unfortunately, I listened to a friend of mine who was on staff with me. He says, hey man, this is your chance to leave a mark. Because your program is going to be compared with all the other programs that happened beforehand. And somehow that little gremlin in my mind got in my mind like, man, I need to make this 
the epic summer, the epic program. And so that was my full concern. Are these kids thinking this is better than last year? This is cooler. This is, you know, more fun. And I will tell you what, that was the most miserable summer I ever had at Ponderosa Lodge. Because the focus was on the wrong thing. Yes, I wanted kids to come to Christ. Yes, I wanted to grow in faith, but my focus was on making it the cool experience. And I'll tell you, I had to come out of that summer and I had to do a lot of soul searching and ask the question, Nathan, who is this about? Was this about you? Or was it about setting the table for the gospel to go forward and maybe even you having to step back? So that was a moment I had to grow. I had foolish, I had a foolish standard. And I needed to say, Lord, forgive me. I need to have my my eyes focused on you. And sometimes that means becoming less. Here's another thought. Just as far as application. Husbands, God has given you a wife. He has given you a wife and you're called to take leadership. But you're not there to lord over her. You're there for her. As Christ loved the church. And wives, I'm going to give both sides of the fence here, okay? Wives, God has given you a husband. And your role is not to correct him or fix him. In fact, what God may be doing in you is teaching you to trust Him, trust Him, God, trust God through imperfect leadership. Because we all have to submit to the authorities that are above us. And in that process, God may be making your husband more like Christ in, in the way that He leads you. True spiritual leadership is not self-elevating, it's not self-centered, it serves others for Christ's sake. Number two, true spiritual leadership is gospel-centered. True spiritual leadership is gospel-centered. Verse 13, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the sphere of, of service God Himself assigned to us. A sphere that includes you. We are not going to go too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did not get as far as you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Now this statement is very autobiographical for Paul. As we talked about last, last week, Paul was confronted and then commissioned by the risen Jesus Christ to take the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts 9. And this is kind of how it played out. The gospel through Paul came to the Corinthians. Paul and company have been faithful in this area. That's the sphere they've been given, the area they've been given, the commission they've been given. And Paul earlier in this letter says, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, look, you are our commendation. You're, you're the one who is the seal of approval that we are indeed Jesus sent apostles. But then he goes on in verse 15, neither do we go beyond the limits of boasting by work done by others. Say, look, we're not looking to go to other places where other sent ones are being assigned. 
if we look at church tradition, we're not looking to go to India where the Apostle Thomas went. We're not looking to go to Africa where we believe the Apostle Matthew went. We're not going back to Jerusalem where James is. And if you've been halfway paying attention to this series, you know that Paul has a holy mission and ambition to spread the gospel. I mean, he is rabid about the gospel. Earlier in this, this same letter, verses 18 through 20, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to us. The message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And here, again back to this passage, the second half of verse 15, he says, Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. Paul's saying, look, I am wanting that the gospel will mature and grow so much that you become an outpost for us taking the gospel to other places. And if you know what Paul said in Romans, he wants to take the gospel to Spain, up into northern Europe, where at this point the gospel has not spread. And that's why here at Berean, we support things like missionaries, like Emily in the Mideast, or Justin and Jamie in Thailand. And that's why we're sending a team to check this summer. But we're also called to make the gospel known here in our backyard, in our neighborhood. Again, back to our Easter breakfast. Again, our goal is not just to fill up the seats, but to put them in a place where they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. About the difference that he has made, that they may change, he might transform them, their lives. So certainly, we are going to be very purposeful in putting our best foot forward. We have a, a team that's thinking, trying to think about all the things that could go wrong and trying to correct those beforehand. And trying to be very, very good about putting our best for, foot forward in, in hospitality. But ultimately, we know that we want the gospel to go. Things to happen where the gospel is being received and we're entering into a time of spiritual warfare. I want to tell you something right now that you're hearing. Do you hear this microphone going in and out? Do you hear it at all? Just kidding. My point is this. As we've been trying to fix this technical problem, I have a different microphone, a different receiver, everything right now. And it's still happening. So I think there's a spiritual warfare going on here. And I'm not looking for demons around every corner. But what I want to say is we can put forth our efforts to, to host a good, a good event. But we need to be praying for hearts. We need to be praying that the gospel will go forward. We need to pr be praying, even if there are glitches like this microphone going out, that the gospel will still go forward in the hearts of men and women. And I will tell you, some of the people that are going to be coming back to us, coming to us this 
on Easter Sunday are going to be people who have heard the gospel before. They know it. And they just are wondering, can I return? Can I return to Jesus? Because they've, they've, maybe they've dipped their pool in faith in Christ. But they've kind of walked away. Maybe their own failure, maybe their own disappointments. But they want, they're asking the question, can I return? And what is the difference that the resurrected Jesus makes? So let's be praying that the Lord opens hearts. And let's align ourselves with His purposes, His holy ambition to see lives changed. And it can start with a breakfast. So let's be praying about that. Number three, false spiritual leadership will take credit, uh, will take credit to others. Let's go back to verses 15 and 16. Neither do we go beyond the li our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. Again, Paul is calling out these spiritual squatters these spiritual squatters that looked to you know, come behind Paul and take credit for what he had done in planting the church and helping that church to grow. Paul knows that his source ultimately is the Lord and the fruit that he's, that's been born is from the Lord himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says, I planted, I planted the gospel, Apollos watered, that means he came and taught, but God gave the growth. It was God who was doing it all along. <laughs> and sometimes false leaders, false teachers can take credit where it's not due them, it's due somebody else, or it's even due the Lord. So the most gross and egregious area I've seen this happen is actually in the area of, of academia. The story of a PhD student in counseling. And what he did was often in the library, and he waited until a seminal work from a very popular uh, Christian psychologist counselor came out. And as soon as it came to the library, he grabbed it. He took it home. And then he typed it out and turned it in as his own research. And nobody knew it. Nobody knew it because it was fresh. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even available in our library anymore. But a few years later, as a person looked at his stuff and looked at other material from this, the original work, it's like, hey, wh who, who's copying who? What's going on? And when this individual who is now a PhD and uh, you know, starting a counseling ministry was confronted, said, did you do this? He said, yeah. I cheated. But his response was not remorse. It was just, eh, that's the way it goes. That is not spiritual leadership. At least not, not God-led uh, spiritual leadership. And let me tell you, high school students, college students, middle school students, you in that area, you are tempted quite a bit. Right? You know you are. Because if you want to, you can try and cut and paste from Wikipedia and just throw it onto your paper. <laughs> Some, somebody's smiling at me. 
You can try and go out on the internet and try and find a paper that's about the subject matter that you're writing about and buy it and turn it in as your own. And even now, artificial intelligence will write papers for you, right? There are websites you can just go out and you put your, your criteria in and it'll write something up. It's amazing technical plagiarism. It's not your work. But it can happen in ministry also, on an everyday basis. Where a leader, especially, who has leadership over an umbrella of of people, will take credit for someone that under him has done, or her has done. And that is false as well. When I was in North Platte, Nebraska, I was over Christian education there as well, as well as worship. And one of my guys who was in charge of the a men's ministry, he wanted to launch, listen to this, a Monday night fantasy football men's Bible study. If that isn't men-centered, I don't know what else is. But I thought he was crazy. I go, really? That's what you want to do? And Sean said, yeah. I said, okay, go for it. And it was wildly successful. Guys were coming because they had interest in football, but they were also getting into God's Word, and they were growing in relationship with each other. And when it started taking off, I could have taken credit for it. I said, yeah, look what happened under my watch. But that would have been stealing. That would have been taking credit for something I thought was actually foolishness. But God breathed life into that godly foolishness in Sean Wardine. And I praised the Lord, and I said, I just confessed to people that I didn't have vision for it, but Sean did. And because of that, men are growing in Christ. And it was a beautiful thing. But this is a discernment thing, right? If you see a, a spiritual leader taking credit for something that someone else has done, we ought to, that should be a red flag for us. You think, ah, oh, that's, that's not right. That's not what God intends. And last of all, true spiritual leadership, and this is the big point, if there's anything I want you to take home today, is God-dependent. True spiritual leadership is God-dependent. Verse 17, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Is that not the big picture of the Scriptures? Is that not where we need to put our confidence? Is in the Lord. See, we get going down life's pathway and we realize, we discover that we fail. We fail to keep our own standards. We find that we're frail. We see sin in other people, but then we can't control the sin in ourselves. We have a society that can't save itself from war, from addictions, from conflict, from natural disasters, from disease, from greed, from financial downturn, from heartbreak, and from death. We are a broken people. It's only by the grace of God who intervenes into human history, where Jesus comes to live the life we can't live, He pays the penalty that we can't pay by going to the cross, and then... He gives us life in Himself as He conquers death from rising from the dead. 
And all that is by faith. You see, we're dependent upon Him every breath we take. For provision, our daily bread, for ability to do things, for execution and results. Jim said, hey, look, I want to I call to mind the beginning of Psalm 127 last week. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. We can work really hard, but unless God breathes life into it, this isn't going to bring any results. We're dependent upon Him. And we're dependent upon Him to live the Christian life. That is the secret. When you put your faith in Christ, Christ by His Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. It's not you living that life. It's through Christ Himself. It's what Galatians 2.20 says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the life we're talking about living. So, yes, the blessings of natural talents, of, of intelligence, physical strength, wealth, they're blessings, but they can deceive us to believe that we're self-sufficient. We need God. And to remind us along the way, as he's reminded God's people, he says this in Jeremiah 9, 23-24. Let not the wise boast, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich to boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, and these I delight, declares the Lord. We're not going to boast in ourselves. And isn't that the truth of the gospel? The gospel tells me I can't live up to God's standard. I am bound up in my sin. I can't please God in myself. But God, who is rich in mercy, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And even how we boast in Christ is all in faith. It's not in us, right? It's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one can boast. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about Jesus. I'm going to boast what He has done, what He continues to do. And that's what I love about our, uh, our Thanksgiving service. It's one of the best services we have because we get to boast and what God has done in our lives. And last of all, we're dependent upon God for approval. Verse 18, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one in whom God commends. Again, the person who makes much of themselves or looking for the approval of those around them have the wrong standard. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks, and you may know this, the majority is not always right. And we have a tendency to want to get the approval of those around us. In fact, Jesus will say, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Our aim is to please the Lord. And our aim is to be dependent upon Him, abiding in Him, obeying Him, 
and letting Him live His life in us and through us. And we're seeking to please Him. And even if nobody else sees it, even if the world never stands up and recognizes it, even if it never gets on YouTube to be produced, the Lord sees. And He is the one with whom you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, the true spiritual leader, they're dependent upon God for their ability to do anything and for their ultimate approval. So in a way, this is a bit of a litmus test. Because a false spiritual leader, they make much of themselves. They take credit for others' work. They take pride in themselves. And they're self-reliant. Whereas the true spiritual leader, it's the one who makes much of Christ and the gospel. Who can give credit where credit is due. And can confess his or her need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And confess even their shortcomings. But know that he is sufficient. That's how we know that spiritual leader passes the sniff test. The boasting in him. So let me pray and then I'm going to ask Bobby and the worship team to come and close us up. So Lord, again, if nothing else... Remind us that we are dependent upon you for everything and we want to be suspicious of anyone who would seek to take spiritual authority and who looks to themselves, Lord. If their foundation, if their cornerstone is not you, if it's in themselves, then we know they're false leaders. But in the meantime, Lord, we want to be people who are walking with you. Who, Lord Jesus, are abiding in you. As you've said, you are the true vine, we are the branches. The one who remains in you, they bear much fruit. And apart from you, we can do nothing. So help us to walk in that humility, walk in that trust, and walk in that dependence. And walk in that discernment. Lord Jesus, we say thank you for your goodness to us, and it's in your name we pray these things. Amen and amen.